cool? <laughs> How's everyone doing? I had to. I couldn't control myself. Uh, I went to Trader Joe's today, and all of a sudden, there's pumpkins everywhere, cinnamon witch brooms, pumpkin spice edibles. Do you, how do you feel when you guys see everything start to shift this season? Do you guys get happy? No? Either you love it, you get happy, or you think, wow, I'm a year older and closer to that day where I expire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, so I had actually three messages in mind. To I was preparing three different messages. I'm like, whatever, whenever I have a chance, I can, I can share them. And uh, God kept putting today's message on my heart. And it was the last one I wanted to share, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I just kept saying, oh, there are like cooler ones and funner ones that we can talk about. And then V and I were on a walk, and I said, I can't figure out which message to preach in two weeks that I'm going to share. She's like, well, what are, the, what are the titles? I said, one of them's called Emotional Intelligence. The other's called Called, Anointed, Tested, Appointed. That's the one I kind of wanted to, to do. And then the last one was five steps to spiritual maturity. And she said, do that one. So God was putting it on my heart to do that one, but I kept saying no. But then my wife told me to do that one. And, you know, you can maybe disobey the Holy Spirit, but you can't disobey your wife. So <laughs> here we are today, and that's the one <laughs> I'm going to share. Before I uh, start the message, let me just uh, start with the word of prayer, and we can begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, and um, although we like to joke with each other and have fun, Father, but we also want to um, just hear from you today, Lord. I pray that whatever you put on my heart, Lord, may you give me the right words, the right stories, the right examples to share it with your people and prepare our hearts to hear the word, Lord, and not just hear it, but also apply it to our lives and uh, go out there and do, do some of the things that we hear, Lord, and uh, I just ask that you bless us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before I start, I want to make a statement that might offend some people, but I think it's true. There are a lot of saved people in the world because all you have to do is accept Christ as your personal Savior and you have eternal life. You don't have to do anything else. So there's a lot of people in this world that are saved but I don't think that there is as many real Christians. Because to be a Christian means you follow Jesus. Christians are followers of Jesus. And I would add, follow him till the very end of your life. Amen? So being a Christian is not an easy task in this generation. Can any, everyone agree with that? I mean... Everything is working against Christianity. Everything is working against what's right, what's moral. Satan is a master at blurring the lines of right and wrong. And it's really, really difficult to be a Christian in the 21st century. But you know what's encouraging? The verse that, always said, that we say a lot here, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. So God knew that everybody sitting here would make it in this generation. 
He knew when he was making us, when he was creating us, that we would be able to be the people to withstand this particular generation, obviously with his help, but he gave us certain abilities to be able to make it through at this time. So if you ever feel that feeling where, oh my gosh, it's so tough, how am I going to make it in this generation? How am I going to live a life worthy of Jesus? Just know that he put you in this generation for a reason. We're here for a purpose in this time, and we can rest assured that he's going to give us everything we need to make it all the way till the end. And I want to read something from the uh, book of Joshua, Joshua 2.14. It says, now therefore fear the Lord, because this message is about spiritual maturity, so I want you to listen to this for a second. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. I think fearing God is such an important principle. It's not about being afraid of God. It's about respecting him and appreciating him and loving him and having a respectful fear. It's like, let's say you have a boss you really love and, and respect. When he comes in the room, you just want to be on your best behavior. Not to be fake, but because you just love and appreciate them. You don't want to lose that relationship with them. Anyone feel like that? Or maybe a family member you really love, you really want to do good by them. So it's important to have this sort of respectful fear of God. And he says, let me put some context. So Moses takes the Israelites out of Egypt, right? F frees them out of slavery. That entire generation is gone now. It's a new generation. They're younger. They weren't there to see everything that happened. They didn't see all the signs and miracles. So Joshua's before leading them into the promised land, is trying to give them a little bit of advice. He says, put away the gods that your father served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So first advice, fear the Lord. Second advice, serve the Lord. And he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose Choose, choose, <laughs> emphasis on the word choose, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua had made it up. He took a stand he says, do what you want to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. Me and my house are going to serve the Lord. But he's saying, make a choice. Make a choice. Christianity is a series of choices. And I think sometimes when we emphasize certain doctrines too much, we lose sight of the role that we play as Christians. Christianity is a relationship with God, and a relationship is a two-way street. I don't know how many of you have been in a relationship. By the way, V and I, this week, we've been together for 10 years. 10 years. Yes, I deserve an applause. <laughs> wow. But she's a really good wife, and you can tell. You know why? I don't have any grays yet, so... We're, we're, we're doing well so far. 
to, uh, there's five points today in this message. This is why I was hesitant to share this message today because sometimes when we do like three-point messages or five-point messages, we have a tendency to think, oh, it just sounds cool and it's some way to remember, but this wasn't like that. I, I, I was reflecting on the 10 years. I was reflecting on some of the things in my life, some of the choices I've made that have worked out well, many that have worked out not well, but some that have worked out well. What were those choices? And then I also looked at some of the heroes in the Bible, some of the characters in the Bible. What were the things that they did that brought them to spiritual maturity? And that's where I came up with the, it was first like eight points, and I was praying over it and praying over it, and I realized, you know, you could really put them into five points. So these are five steps to, to spiritual maturity. But Joshua says that, Make up your mind. Make a decision. Our choices are so important, and Christianity is a series of choices. So this leads to point number one. Really, really important. Make up your mind. We got to have a made-up mind as Christians. There's something that God really dislikes, and that's wishy-washy Christians. One day up, one day down, one day hot for him, one day cold for him. When you come to Revelation, there's a church. It's the church of Laodicea. They were always somewhere back and forth. They were never fully hot. They were never fully cold. And Jesus comes to that church and says, if you're going to be one, at least even be cold, fully cold. Preferably be really, really hot, but don't be in between that lukewarmness in our Christian life really bothers God. He wants us to make up our mind. What are we doing? Who are we serving? Where are we going? And he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's a harsh thing to say. Now, nothing will lose your salvation. God will always love you. Jesus died for your sins. You're accepted. You're redeemed. You're made right in his eyes. But in your day-to-day -day life, he wants you to go all the way with him. He doesn't want, God hates mediocrity. He hates mediocrity in people's lives. He wants you to, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Well, everyone sitting here, I think if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've received that life. But have it more abundantly. He wants that life just flowing out of you. He wants you to reap all the benefits of a Christian life. He probably sees us, and he's, it's painful for him to see us going kind of halfway and not fully reaping the benefits of being a Christian. Am I making sense? We come to Daniel. Daniel's the pillar of this example. Daniel was a, was a Jew. He was one of the first exiles out of Israel, taken by the king to Babylon, and I kind of always brushed over that. Well, the king came and took him and all his friends. I mean, if someone took us out of L.A. and put us in Fresno, we'd have a heart attack, let alone taking him out of where he was born and raised and everything he knew, his neighborhood, his friends, his family at a young age and puts him in Babylon, which is like the worst of the worst of the world, the pressures of the world, the enticement of the world, the temptations, and Daniel was the total package. 
in every way. It specifically says he was good-looking. It specifically says he was physically fit. It specifically says he was intelligent. He had everything. He could have gone into Babylon, compromised, had the time of his life, forgotten about God, enjoyed his life, did whatever he pleased. But look what it says here. Daniel made up his mind, Daniel 1.8, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice foods or with the wine which he drank. Now, Daniel went to Babylon. He complied with, with the rules there. He, he lived the way we live in the world. He had a job. He did everything that you ought to do in this world. I'm not saying you're not going to go out there. You're going to be a hermit. You're not going to go out into the world. But he took a stand, and he refused to cross the line. And a lot of times, Christians are just okay with sort of being a little wishy-washy and crossing the line in our day-to-day life or compromising a little bit here and a little bit there. Now, we all do that, and we all make mistakes, so there's no, there's no condemnation, but it's just about recognizing that we got to make a stand for God. We got to make up our mind about who we're serving, about who we are in Christ, and don't let every single thing that comes in our way make us lose sight of that. Make a stand for God. I've coined the new frame, pogo stick Christians. You all know what pogo stick is? You know, you stand on it, you go up and down and up and you hop. Everyone, anyone play with a pogo stick? Okay. We got to be steadfast as Christians, consistent. Ephesians 4.14 says, so that we may no longer be children. Again, it's talking about maturing. No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up Grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's interesting. Christ lives in us. He's deposited the Holy Spirit in us, and we also are in him. But that life is dormant sometimes. It's not flowing. He wants to just make whatever's inside express itself on the outside. Right? that we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. One of the stumbling blocks of a lot of Christians, and a lot of people in general, well, if God loves me, why is this happening in my life? Oh, well, if God loves me so much, why is this going on? Anyone ever ask that question? Why, Lord, why did this happen? When... um, when, when V was pregnant, I prayed a lot for the pregnancy, for the delivery, a lot. There were nights I would wake up in the middle of the night, not for any particular reason, but I would just pray over her and hope everything was safe. I felt like I covered all the bases. And everything went smooth. Everything was good. And one little thing in the hospital, one little unnecessary mishap, caused six to eight hours of unnecessary excruciating pain. One mistake by the doctor. 
six to eight hours of pain. Well, everything else, thank God, was smooth. Delivery was smooth. The baby was healthy. So I, the, the first night I was driving home to, um, from the hospital to get stuff and go back, I was praying. I was like, thank you, Lord, so much. Gen- genuinely thankful, genuinely praising him. And then I just remembered that whole six-hour thing, and I said, I said, Lord, but I don't understand. Why did that happen? I've been faithful. I was praying. I prayed over it. How did that come about? You know what God really, I feel like, stopped me in my tracks while I was praying, and he, and he spoke to my heart, and he said, imagine what happens when I'm not involved. Imagine what happens when you don't pray. I mean, we focus on the 0.01% of things that happen that are not what we want to happen, but how many times is God in our midst protecting us, healing us, keeping us safe in the car, keeping us healthy, keeping us alive, keeping us breathing, and we don't even think about it, but our life is in the palm of his hand and he's protecting us all the time, but one little thing happens, maybe it's a little big thing, I don't know, happens, and then we say, God, where are you? Jesus did not promise us a problem-free life. He said, in the world, you will have great problems, not even problems, great problems. But cheer up. I've overcome the world. Thank God that cheer up is there. Right? Stop doubting God and his power just because things go wrong in your life. Have a made-up mind. God loves me regardless of what's going on. I refuse to believe the lies of the enemy. God is protecting me. God is for me. If he's for me, who can be against me? Amen? Know who you are in Christ. Number two, having the attitude of a foreigner. The attitude of a foreigner. We see this in the life of Abraham. Abraham was given the promised land as his, in, is in his inheritance, and once he's already in Canaan, he's living there. His wife Sarah, who he loves, dies. And you know what he does? He goes to the Hittites. They were a group of people that were also there, but this is his place that God told him it's yours. He goes to them and says, can I have some territory to bury my wife? I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. His attitude was that this earth, this life that we have here is temporary. Church, we're just passing through here. This isn't our forever home. And until we really come to terms with that, until we really come to terms with the fact that this is all temporary, that yes, we're supposed to go out and work and make things of ourselves and achieve things. I'm not saying any of that is bad. But our heart can't be attached here because we're going to be very miserable when we're on our way out and we're taking nothing with us. Psalm 84, there's so many songs we sing, it's based out of Psalm 84. Psalm 84, 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. I looked up the word pilgrimage, the Greek and the Hebrew, 
I got a new book, by the way. It gives you all the Bible uh, Hebrew words and the Greek words, so I'm just going to start pulling those out there and sounding very intelligent. So the word is, if I had glasses, paradimos, and it's an adjective signifying sojourning, which means staying somewhere temporarily in a strange place away from one's own people. We're in a strange place right now. And you know what? I don't think that we'll ever fully be at ease in this world. We'll have God's peace that transcends all understanding. He'll provide for us. He'll take us all the way through. But we'll never fully feel at home here. So if you ever feel like that, like something is missing, that's because we were created for something bigger not for the kingdom of this world, but for God's kingdom. It's only there that we're going to be fully at ease, fully at peace. And those who set their hearts on pilgrimage, verse 7 says, they go from strength to strength. Gives you enough strength in one situation. From there, you go to the next situation. He gives you enough strength in that situation. You go to the next, next, all the way until the very end. How amazing is it that in Christ we have these promises but we got to do our part. <laughs> so we got to set our hearts on pilgrimage, think temporary when it comes to our life here, put our heart in Christ and seek Him. Then it says you will go from strength to strength. Amen? Ooh, Lot's wife. How many of you like the story of Lot's wife? Some Himalayan sea salt. The whole, <laughs> though, though I love Himalayan sea salt. I feel so healthy when I'm just putting that pink sea salt on the food. The whole story of Lot's wife is so unfortunate. So Abraham, who had his heart set on, you know, he was a foreigner, stranger. He had his heart set on pilgrimage. His nephew's wife was really attached to the world. So Abraham and Lot, they had their differences, they split apart. Lot makes his territory of living next to Sodom and Gomorrah, and his family is raised there. Lot's a pretty decent person when you think about it, but you can see how much this town corrupted his family. I mean, his daughters do something despicable, I won't even mention on a Sunday later, but it just shows how much they were infected by Sodom and Gomorrah, and God sets out to destroy that place and sends an angel to take Lot and his family out. But when they're coming out, it says his wife turned around and looked back. Looked back at the place that she was living, the place that she was enjoying, the place she ran her errands, the place she had all her friends, her home. How much our hearts are sometimes invested in this world. Yours isn't? Okay, mine, mine is a lot of times. I, I have to live here, this neighborhood, I love it here, or I have to see these people all the time. That's what she was doing. She was looking back at the life she once had. It's up in flames. That's how crazy it is when our minds and our hearts are set on something other than God. And we know where that led her into a pillar of salt, so I don't want to make a joke out of the story, but the moral of the story is 
not to look back. We're Christians spend too much time looking in the past. We spend too much time dwelling on the past and dwelling on the things we have here, and we just got to move forward with God. Which leads me to my next point. Number three, remember, steps towards spiritual maturity. This is one of the hardest. Living beyond your feelings. Uh Uh-oh. How many decisions do we make based on our emotions? Every emotional spur-of-the-moment decision I made, God made me pay for it for so long until I said, I got the point, God, stop. I've had enough. Emotions are a God-given faculty, but we're to walk by faith and not by our feelings. A lot of times what we feel, many times what we feel, is not accurate. It's not the reality of God's word. Uh, The other day I had a, a really, for me, it was like a scary thing I had to do at work. It was something I haven't done many times, so I was kind of afraid. Oh my gosh, all week I was just so upset. I was down. I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and, and afraid of it. And I, was, I, I prayed. I said, God, this isn't normal for a Christian to be fearing something so pathetic. That's part of my job. I have to do it anyways. Why am I having so much anxiety over this? So the next morning I woke up and it was the morning I had to go and do what I had to do. And although I felt like that, the verse came to my mind, this is the, lo- the day that the Lord has made. So I will rejoice and be glad in it. So it doesn't matter if I'm feeling something. What does the Word of God tell me to do? Acknowledge each day as God's ordained day and make a choice to rejoice and be glad through whatever's going on. And it was a genuine, I feel like, thing that I did. And I, I immediately, I'm not saying over, like immediately everything went away, but definitely gave me the strength and the courage to go do what I had to do. And it was totally good in the end and everything worked out. But how much our feelings get the best of us and our emotions take over us. We can have emotions, but we're not to be controlled by our emotions. Learning to walk by the Spirit, as opposed to simply walking by emotions, is the biggest sign of spiritual maturity, and it's part of denying the self. Are you familiar with denying the self? So Jesus, in Matthew 16, 24, says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple... If you want to follow me all the way, he's saying, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. What context was he saying this in? So right before, Peter has this big revelation, and he says, you are Christ, son of the living God. Jesus turns to Peter and says, on this rock I will build my church. Like, wow, Peter, big revelation. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, 
I c I'm going to end up doing what I came here to do, and I have to die on the cross. The Son of Man has to die, and God's going to raise him up. And that same Peter who had this big revelation turns around and says, No, Lord, far be it from you to die. Don't die. Don't leave us. You know what Jesus turns to him and says? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. From a revelation to get behind me, Satan. Why? Because our emotions prevent God's will from occurring in our lives. Or we allow our emotions to get in the way of God's will being accomplished in our lives. Peter was so concerned with himself and not wanting to see his friend get crucified and probably also having to deal with the aftermath and all that. It was a hurtful thing. He didn't want it to happen. So he's all about his feelings. And that gets us to stop God's will from happening. Imagine if they all just listened to Peter and went based on his emotions. And Jesus didn't die on the cross and there was no salvation and no Holy Spirit and we wouldn't even be here today. I mean, look what emotions, uh, emotional decisions can do in our lives. Dying to self is a daily endeavor, and it usually happens in the small, little, tiny ways. And what does dying to self mean? It's, it's a big fancy word for basically saying, doing what God wants us to do irrespective of how we feel. Right? Choosing to do what God is telling us to do, regardless of how I feel or what I think is right. That's the process of dying to self. And I don't know how much time I have, but I have a funny story. I don't know if I should share it or not. Okay. So, as you can tell, God has been testing me in a lot of areas because I have a lot of funny stories. But, a couple months ago, again, I'm bringing V into this. Poor thing of all these stories are. <laughs> so V was around seven months pregnant, and she was transitioning from being able to move around to any sudden movements would cause her to fall down the stairs. So we got to, you know, not let her do too many crazy things. And one night our dog Nala, so many Nala stories, she woke me up at 3 in the morning and had to go out to potty. Okay, she had an upset stomach, and this never happens. So ruined my sleep, and I think the next morning I was even speaking, so it was just like a hard thing, whatever, we went through that. So the next night, it's Sunday night now, and how many of you have that period where you just want to veg on the couch for 10 to 15 minutes before going to bed, and you, and you don't want a distraction? I mean... Jesus could return and you'll tell him, please give me 10 minutes on this couch. <laughs> Anyone relate? Yes? You just want to veg out. So V says, before you lay on the couch, do you want to just in case take Nala out so that she won't wake us up in the middle of the night? And obviously she couldn't do it herself because it's nighttime, nor would I let her go out at night. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take her. And our apartment complex is around 98 units. I'm saying that because it's very big, so it covers about three quarters of the block. And so I, I go from one side all the way around the perimeter to the other side. 
and she's not doing anything. And I walk back all the way around to the other side and she's not doing anything. I give it one more chance. So my 10 to 15 minutes of veg out time was spent taking my dog out and it was basically a waste of time, right? A total waste of time. So I could feel God telling me to close your mouth, don't complain, and keep the peace in your house. But I said, no, I have to get it off my chest that I just wasted 10 minutes of my time. And the Holy Spirit was saying, no, close your mouth, keep the peace. So I'm going up each step, each step, keep the peace. I have to say it, keep the peace. I have to get it off my chest. So I made a decision. I said, okay, I'm just not going to say anything. Stand up straight. Act holy. Keep your eyes up. Walk the dog inside the house. <laughs> and V comes out all innocently and says, did she go to the bathroom? And I lost it. I said, no, she just wasted 15 minutes of my time. And I took the leash off and put it in the leash container and went to the bathroom to wash up and go to bed. And immediately I felt that conviction from the Holy Spirit that I disobeyed him. And although there was no fight, she didn't say anything in return. I didn't even say anything wrong. It was the truth. But it was an unnecessary statement that the Holy Spirit was specifically telling me not to do and I disobeyed. You see the point there? So I prayed and said, Lord, forgive me. And then it was like, okay, why are you asking me for forgiveness? Go and ask your wife. You're the one, <laughs> she's the one who you just, you know, did this to. And I did. And the moral of the story is we are tested in small ways like this in our day-to-day -day lives. And we don't even think that it's God trying to test us and trying to crucify our flesh. And the more we disobey the Holy Spirit, the stronger the flesh gets. The more we obey, now none of us can on our own efforts crucify the flesh, but God does allow things to happen and bring situations and if we just obey, the flesh gets weaker and weaker. And none of us are going to be selfless Christians ever on this earth, but we can come pretty close towards the end if we just consistently do what the Holy Spirit tells us. So I didn't feel like closing my mouth, but we got to walk based on what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Word of God says and not our feelings. Capiche? All right. So I wrote this. In our day-to-day -day life, we face dozens of situations where if we want to move based on emotion and comfort, or we want to really move based on emotion and comfort, but if we choose to do what God tells us to do, that's walking in the spirit, and the result is dying to self. Does that make sense? So you're still going to be unique. You still have a personality, but dying to self really means that you become Christ-centered. Part of spiritual maturity is, is your life revolves around Christ and what he wants, and putting your wants and needs second. That's what basically it means. Number four. This is so important, meditating on God's word. I think one of the people who 
impressed this on me at a young age was Albert. He always emphasized reading the Word. And I was a kid, I used to think, well, what's the point? I'm coming to church. Why would I read? It's your, it, their, their job, they're preaching it. Do I have to go myself and read? Every one of us is responsible to know the Word and to meditate on God's Word. And meditating means you, I have a definition for that too, the Greek it means to be diligent in doing. So it's not just knowing the word and reading the word. It's putting it into practice, being diligent about it. That's the key to meditating on the word of God. Psalm 1.1. How many of you go to Psalm when you're in trouble? The Psalms. The rest of you never get into trouble and don't need any encouragement. The first psalm, look what it says. It's like setting the, the foundation. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. We all have time to read his word and to meditate on it. When I was in, when I, right before I started law school, my biggest fear was I would have no time to read the Word of God. I'd already made up my mind. I said, I'm not going to read. I'm probably not going to have time to pray. My ministry at church is not going to happen anymore. I'm never going to go to church. All these things I kind of made up in my, and then one day I said, I, no, there's no way. So any spot I had, just driving. Do you know how much I wanted to listen to fun music when I was driving to school? to get my mind off of what I'm about to encounter. Anywhere you can, try to meditate on his word and read his word and create a bank of his word and be deeply rooted in his word. When we're deeply rooted in the word, no storm that comes in our life can tear us down because we are so strong in the word. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Know his word so well that it dwells in you richly. And God's word transforms our minds. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is done by God's word renewing of your mind, then it says you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We always want to know what God's will is. Well, a renewed mind is able to know and recognize what God's will is and then have the strength to execute the will. So we know we got to conform to, the, to Christ and not to the world. How do we do that? One of the fundamental ways is meditating and knowing and reading and going deep into God's word. And church is definitely one way you do that. But each one of us have to have our personal time with God. Each one of us have to set time aside with the Lord for our own sake. You don't want to, it's, it's up to you, but for your own spiritual growth and development. Got to put that time with Him. What you occupy your mind with is what your mind will conform to, is what your mind will conform to. 
constantly occupy your, your mind with what the Word of God says? How many of you just dwell on every thought that falls in your head? Any thought that comes in your head, you think it's okay and you just think about it. You know we have the power and the choice to think different thoughts and to reject certain thoughts that come to our mind. Thoughts of unthankfulness, for instance. Anytime you, you feel unthankful, immediately it says, casting down all arguments and any thought, we have the ability to cast down thoughts to the obedience of Christ. And this is a long process, but it works. You've got to catch yourself when you're thinking of things that are not biblical, thinking of things that contradict the word. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and, oh, I just feel so down. How many of you wake up in the morning and just feel like that? Oh, I'm just so down. I feel so depressed. Is that an okay thing to just think about and dwell on and your whole day is down the drain? No, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every wrong thought, there's an opposite attack verse from the Bible that we can use and counter that thought. I think you're thinking that this is maybe too much like Oh, can we, really, can we really think the right things? The Bible says we've been given the mind of Christ. Yes, we can think right things. So don't dwell on every thought that falls in your head and think it's okay to just think about it. You know how bad it is to be overly self-critical, to constantly examine yourself and look at your flaws? The Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying everything we do is good and okay, but I'm saying we shouldn't constantly be focused on our flaws, focus on the character of Christ, and that's who lives in us. And that's who we live in. Last but not least, who's tired and wants me to finish faster? Well, guess what? V and I were up all night because Caleb would not sleep. So if anyone's tired, it is me, okay? The last one, challenges. I learned this really hard. Learn it quicker in life or early. Challenges are growth opportunities. Every trial we go through is an opportunity to grow and know God better. Our faith is tested through trials. James says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's one of the original words that uses steadfastness. Notice how it kind of interweaves with all the other stuff. We are supposed to be consistent, not go based on feelings. Well, when you're going through a, tri a trial and you persevere, meaning you don't lose your faith in God and what he's able to do and constantly just walk in faith and believe that he's going to deliver you from whatever you shouldn't be going through. And if he's letting you go through something, it's for your own good. So always having that kind of at the forefront of your mind. He won't let any of those tests that we're going through be wasted. 
Think about the worst thing that's happened to you. Maybe in your childhood, any childhood trauma amongst us, you don't need to raise your hands. I'll raise it for you. That will be the reason for you to get to know him on a deeper and personal level. I used to be so down about some of the things I went through. Oh, if only I didn't go through that. Now I'm like, I'm glad I went through that. I'm so happy that God took me through that. Because now when I read, I can understand certain things. Amen or no? Tomato throwing to me or something? I don't know. One of my clients at work, he's paralyzed in a wheelchair, extremely, obscenely wealthy, but lost everything in 08, built it back up, became extremely wealthy again, lost it all again during COVID. Now he's slowly trying to build it back up in his late 60s on a wheelchair, positive, encouraging, motivating. I don't even know if he has Christ in his life. Yet so many Christians have been given a new life, eternal life, God's in our lives, and we're going walking around downcast all the time. But you know what he said? He said, I learned nothing through the good times, but learned everything through the bad times. Anyone going through bad, tough times? I'll briefly talk about Joseph, and I'll close this up. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph was a good person, a young guy, but a little bit obnoxious. He liked to say everything that came to his mind. So he had some dreams that his brothers were bowing to him, and he went and he told them. And then he had a dream where his whole family is bowing down to him, and he goes and tells them. And now no one likes him anymore. He was his father's favorite because it was the love child between him and the love of his life. But his brothers hated him. I mean hated him and were jealous of him. And on top of that, I want you to picture this. His dad gifts him with a shiny coat that was multicolored. Now imagine the person you hate and you can't stand and they have what you want is wearing this obnoxious jacket and is walking around and you can see him from afar. We say it's unfair what they did to his brother, but imagine you were one of his brothers. I would wish for a bow and arrow and when I see him from far, just get rid of him. Well, they do, but I want you to just look at the trauma this guy went through. His brothers sell him into slavery Sell him. I would have respected them more if they killed him, but selling him and making money off of him, how sad is that? Sell him into slavery from age 17 to 30. Your prime years are wasted in slavery and in prison. But everywhere he went, he didn't compromise, he didn't complain, he was steadfast, and he got to know the Lord on a deep and personal level. So all sorts of things happened. Long story short, everywhere he would go, he would get promoted. So in Potiphar's home, he's a servant. He is so good at what he does. God put favor in Potiphar's eyes towards him. And he becomes the head of his household. 
And again, it says he was very good looking and he, was, he had a good physique. That's what the Bible says. So Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. And this young kid who could have just compromised and done whatever he wanted to do, he had no one to answer to, maintained his integrity, thank you, maintained his integrity, didn't compromise, and God worked everything out well. No, he, he landed in prison for taking a stand. Well, in prison, God also promotes him. Long story short, he becomes the second in line to Pharaoh in Egypt. And he comes face to face with his brothers one day. And first he plays around with them a little bit and scares them and stuff, but it says he starts weeping. I want you to think about 13 years of pain. It says he was weeping so loud the palace was in shock that Joseph was crying so loud. And later on it says, I think I wrote it here, Genesis 50, 20, they're begging for forgiveness. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So whatever we're going through and whatever we have gone through, God could use that situation mightily for your good. And not only was it for Joseph's good, but he saved the entire Egypt out of a famine. God knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. We're always occupied with the right now, that I'm suffering, I'm going through something. God sees the end, he sees the finished product, and he sometimes lets certain things happen because he wants you to go towards that as opposed to something else. But if we're faithful to him, steadfast in our faith, don't waver, continue to walk in him, persevere, Make up our minds. Live beyond our feelings. He will use everything you're going through, the worst thing you've gone through in your life for your good. Don't let your trials be a win for Satan. Don't just throw the towel in when you're going through something. You know, the world our family members that we're so concerned about to be saved, our friends, our loved ones, our coworkers are watching to see how we act when we're going through some trials. They want to hear us complain. They want to hear us no longer praise the name of the Lord. So they can say, aha, your God wasn't able to help you. But if in those times we stand firm on our faith and proclaim that Jesus is Lord no matter what I'm going through, that's the biggest testimony That'll draw a hundred times more people closer to God. All right, so in closing, we had make up our minds, have an attitude of a foreigner, just don't be so settled here and live for God. Learn to live beyond our feelings in those little situations when the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something, obey and do it. Meditate, learn, grow in his word, and allow God to use your challenges as growth opportunities. I think if we, this isn't an exclusive list. There's a few very important things that I didn't, like prayer, church, but I think that's a given. I didn't want to, you know, go there for today. But I think that if we're faithful in some of these things, we will progress spiritually.
God won't let our life go to waste. Amen? So let's start making some good choices in our life. God will give us everything we need to do. He'll give us the strength, the energy, the faith even, the grace to do everything he wants us to do. But he'll never do it for us. That we got to do ourselves. He provides everything. There are certain things he'll come in and just do totally. But most of the times he gives us the strength and the grace to do whatever he's telling us to do. Our spiritual life needs to have an outcome. What's the outcome? What's the end goal? The end goal should be a deeper and more intimate relationship with God, becoming mature sons and daughters in the process. Amen? Shall we stand up together and pray together, commit ourselves to him, ask for him to give us everything we need, which he already has in Christ, but to really run this race all the way till the end. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And the life you've put in us has all the qualities of Christ. The Holy Spirit that's in us is our helper, is our redeemer, is our comforter, is everything. I mean, you've really given us everything that we need, Lord. Father, today we want to make up our minds that we no longer want to be, if that's the case, we don't want to be a little bit in the middle, wishy-washy, lukewarm. We want to make a decision to be truly committed to you and up for the challenge, whatever you have to put in front of us. Like Daniel, we want to run towards that Goliath and not waver. Father, we ask that you work in our lives deeply to bring us to a place where we're closer to you, that we know you better, that we trust you. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that if there's anything in our hearts that is preventing us from fully running this race, Lord, in Jesus' name, break it down, Lord. Any unforgiveness we may have, any resentment we may have, any fear we may have, any thoughts that certain things haven't gone our way, so we're questioning your love. In Jesus' name, we bind the work that the enemy has tried to start in our lives, and we are more than conquerors through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for every good thing that you've given us, Lord. I pray that your protection, your love, and your grace be upon us, Lord, all the days of our life. And as we go into this next week, Lord, keep us strong, and may we fix our eyes on you and run this race with joy, Lord. You have not died and given us a new life for us to be down all the time. You say, be of good cheer. We should be cheerful Christians because you've overcome the world. Nothing is impossible for God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>